Welcome to The Debris. This is where we talk about what was left behind by Hurricane Katrina and the floods that followed. I'm your host, Jesse Hardman. We're coming to you from WWNO, New Orleans Public Radio. This week, we hit the road. Because everyone was like extra going out of their way to be look out for each other, everyone was the most polite driver I've ever seen. Jacques Dufour came back to New Orleans in October of 2005. His mom was anxious to check up on the family home in Lakeview. People had barely started trickling back, and basic infrastructure wasn't working. Traffic lights were out, and street signs were missing. Uh, I mean, you would stop and let the other person go, but it was very much a recognition of, you know, we're all in this, and, you know, you're on your way to a difficult situation. Katrina left its mark on almost every aspect of life in New Orleans. In some cases, the storm sparked improvements. There's literally a mark uh, on the ground everywhere since the storm and since they had to repair everything. Um, people were really hard at getting the bike lanes happening, and before there was nothing like that. And so now in Esplanade, Broad, major thoroughfares, um, just having the painted line is so it's such a different experience. It's so positive. In 2013, those bike lanes guided one of the world's best-known cycling enthusiasts. David Byrne, musician and writer, is known for a sort of alien-who-just-landed perspective on the world. He wrote about New Orleans in his Bicycle Diaries book, and in this 2013 blog post, he talked about spending a day on his bike exploring the city. New Orleans is wonderful. The folks are generally talkative and they enjoy life. Black folks and white folks mix and come in contact with one another more than in many other U.S. cities. But it's also the victim of a lot of bad policies, corruption, and sad decisions. And all kinds of tragic policies have been heaped upon the city like so many knife wounds. It's almost as if the city is being punished for being as generous, gregarious, sensuous, and fun-loving as it is. As a cyclist, let me start with the highways. They're beautiful and awe-inspiring, as highways usually are. Freeways here are mostly elevated, which keeps them above the floodwaters, and they became a weird refuge and a prison for folks during Katrina. Being elevated, they theoretically shouldn't impede the network of surface streets as much as the typical ground level or sunken freeways do, as in New York and L.A. But as I biked around, it seemed that that wasn't really true. They create dead zones, and one had to detour quite a ways to get across to another neighborhood. No one except the homeless live under these things. No business goes on under them either. It's a massive usurping of what must be or could be valuable urban real estate. It was a sunny day today. We rode our bikes around Holy Cross neighborhood and the Lower Ninth on the other side of the Industrial Canal from where we're staying in Bywater, which is now an Airbnb land. At the northern end of the Ninth Ward, we stumbled on an overlook that gave a view of a former cypress swamp just north of the Lower Ninth. There used to be lots of these cypress forests in the Mississippi Delta, but with the introduction of canals for oil pipelines and shipping, they're mostly gone. Now, 
This overlook looks out on a vast lake with a few stumps poking up. Robert Taylor, a 65-year-old black man in a gimme cap, is the caretaker of this overlook. He comes up to us and explains the situation. I have to mention that for us outsiders, having a stranger come up and start talking is unusual. We might normally suspect that he might be asking for something or have some ulterior motive. Here, that just isn't always true. More often than not, folks just want to talk, and it's worth listening. He's old enough to remember the cypress forest and to have seen it vanish. He points out that with the forest gone, the levees and barriers here take the full brunt of the surges, and they just can't withstand them, nor will they ever possibly be able to. It's lovely the way folks here just spill out their stories, stories that meander like the river. Robert's brother, a guy missing all his front teeth, comes up too. Then he wanders off. Robert points at him by the railroad track a ways off and says he's looking for raccoons. They're good to eat, he says. Then the conversation turns to other edible local wildlife. Robert won't eat possum. He's seen them coming out of a cow carcass. But there is a kind of wild pig nearby that's delicious, he says. Interbred wild boar and domestic pigs. So they're larger than a boar, but he says just as crazy. He suggests that you go for the smaller ones. You can get them if you hide in a tree. And avoid the big ones, as they're too heavy to tote back home. flood and the damage were entirely man-made. It appears that, as Taylor points out, decades of mismanagement and poor decisions, at least poor for the poor and middle class in those neighborhoods, okay for the oil companies, made this disaster inevitable. The city is coming back in a fashion, slightly more gentrified and whiter than it was before. Some folks are attracted here after the flood by the easygoing lifestyle and the cheap or even almost non-existent rents. Coming from New York, gentrification is relative. It's not like there are massive glass-walled condos going up everywhere in New Orleans like there are in Manhattan and Brooklyn. There are younger, mostly white folks fixing up old houses that they can get for cheap, and one sees slicker restaurants popping up in the inevitable yoga joints. But most neighborhoods here are still way more integrated than they are in cities in other parts of the country. Up, shake them lazy bones, read the t-shirt but still don't understand. Coming home with a little apocalypse. It comes now. Do you have time for this? That's David Byrne reading from a 2013 blog post about riding his bike around New Orleans. Well, I ain't no poet, ain't got no rhyme, but I got me a car and I know how to drive. In the event of pressure. Biking is a great way to get to know a city. It's also a great way to get to know a disaster. This is the fourth annual Levy Disaster Bike Tour, and we have a great turnout this year. That's Sandy Rosenthal, executive director of levies.org. The organization's annual tour is just what it sounds like. Curious cyclists travel the city from one failed levy to another. Here's a stop at the London Avenue Canal by a vacant lot next to an abandoned house force of the water was so great that it actually picked up the home that used to be at this site, right where the digging is, lifted it up, 
rotated at 180 degrees and deposited it right here at this T wall, at this T intersection. So, Mr. Beeman. And from there, it's off to the next breach at 17th Street. Are we ready, Steve? <coughs> yeah, let's go. Whether you're an art rock legend on vacation or an activist trying to raise awareness, your bike tour requires a road. Like most post-Katrina residents, Dana Brown has an asphalt nemesis. My favorite was over right at uh, Claiborne and I think Robert, I'm not remembering right now. But uh, it, was, it was a doozy, but I love to go that way to go home anyway. And I would just wait behind it till I could get around it. I did not go through it. That one was serious. It would have swallowed my little car. Potholes in my Everybody's saying. As a local landscape architect and urban planner, Brown has a unique perspective on how these iconic holes, or better yet, craters, developed after the storm and stuck around. I talked to her about how the city is rethinking its infrastructure so floods don't continue to ruin local roads. Well, here we are on Cadiz in Uptown, not far from Claiborne and Napoleon, and uh, we have a nice-sized pothole, which you can go on most of the streets around here and, and find one like this. You can even look in it and see the gravel underneath and the different layers of asphalt that you know have been placed on top of the road over the years. One main reason that it happens in the city of New Orleans is soil subsidence. So when we drain the water out from underneath, the clay soils subside, compress, the organic soils decompose, compress, and then things sink. And then as soon as something sinks a little bit, the weight of cars and trucks come along and can undermine it, can really damage it, rip it up, and then it just gets worse and worse and compounds because it's now weak. Katrina brought a lot of floodwaters. What kind of impact did it have on streets? Floodwaters really changed the way the groundwater was behaving because it stayed full of water for a long time and then it saturated also all the roads. When we drained the water out of the city after the storm, we drained a lot out, and sometimes maybe maybe we think we might have pumped out a little too much too quickly. It's not a cypress tree. It's not meant to get a lot of water inundation and then very little water inundation. It's certainly not for the length of time that we had, and so that undermines the subsurface, and then when we pumped it out, uh, it subsided even more. One of the things I want to mention is that uh, um, I've never seen it in action, but I know we have a pothole killer which is a big machine that comes and puts coal tar in the potholes and then heats up the top to sort of seal it in. And that sounds like pretty good. Everybody wants that pothole killer to come around more often. But when they do that, sometimes they've got to come back and do it again. So if they have to do it again, where did that coal tar go? It went in the soil. It went in the groundwater. It went in Lake Pontchartrain. And that's not an environmentally sound thing to do. If you were given this street corner to take over, and we're looking at it, it's got at least three or four pretty major potholes on it, Uh, a little bit of grass, but mostly gray sidewalk. If you were given this street corner, how would you redesign it in a way that would make it last longer and be kind of more representational of the realities of New Orleans? Instead of putting in a bunch of catch basins, what I would do is I would clean up the side of the road, plant some 
street trees in the grassy area define the edge whether you can afford to put a curb or not I would I like I like the curb to be a safety barrier for people on the sidewalks not rollover curbs but barrier curbs that are six inches high and then at the corners like this corner right here I would at the end at each end of each corner where the first 20 feet you're not allowed to park anyway I would bulb out the curb and take that opportunity to catch the water flowing down into that by making that uh, a like a big rain garden and catch the water in there and then connect it as an overflow in that rain garden into a pipe somewhere wherever the pipes are then you have you, you're also improving the neighborhood with planting uh, the trees might grow up and actually shade some of the cars that are parked along the street and those plants in that corner and those corner bulb outs at all four corners would capture a lot of that water and clean a lot of it before it ever ends up in Lake Pontchartrain. Bonus. That's right. That's right. It does a lot of things, right? Mm. Quality of the neighborhood, water quality, and water quantity, as in mitigating localized flooding. Who knew it was so entertaining to stand on a street corner <laughs> and see how each car approaches these potholes differently? I wonder if Freud would say something about that. There must be some psychological thing about how they approach them. What's your approach? I go easily through it if I have to, because there are cars coming and there's no way to get around it. But if I can go around it, I go around it. You do? I do. Let's see what this guy does. Oh, didn't really stop. Well, they avoided oh, they that one in the, right in the middle of the street. Yeah, we could do play-by-play. Here comes one. This right, might we... be a good one. What are they going to do? They're going to avoid it. Went right Went in there. that other one. You never know. That's Dana Brown of Dana Brown and Associates, a local landscape architecture firm. They don't know that the solo go for that potholes in my lawn and that go for my rhyme sheet, which I concentrated so hard on. You can have street signs and you can have traffic lights, but for many in New Orleans, the streets aren't truly whole until you hear the following cry. I have oranges and bananas. I have eaten bears and apples. That's Mr. Okra. His path through the city is a sales route. He broadcasts from his multicolored pickup truck what he's got for sale. I have tangerine. I have cantaloupe. I have honeydew After being displaced in Tennessee for a couple of years, Mr. Okra came back to his gutted house on Art Street in Gentilly. WWNO's Eve Tro caught up with Mr. Okra back in 2007 and headed out with him on his route at 7 a.m. I'm going to show you where I start. AJ Produce. They always have what you need over here? Oh, yeah. I buy all my stuff here. Snake a root. Get that thumb and snake. That's Brian. That's AJ's uh, son-in-law, Brian. I've been doing this for about 20 years, I guess. I don't have too many pedals like you around no more. A lot of them either passed away or they moved out of town. A lot of people don't have to leave their house. They'll come out in their robe, ochre. Yeah. Come out in their robe and their, and their slippers and all that kind of stuff. Feel like putting a little green on or something in the arm in the morning. They know okra's going to come around around that time, okra. Yeah. <laughs> what you got on there? That mango, all kind of zero. That's uh, pasta, curly pasta, straight pasta, spinach. And since the storm, have people been buying more from you? Yeah, they've been buying a whole lot. Since the they don't have too many groceries open in their neighborhood. You know, why did you decide to come back? I own my home here. And all my children here. See all my people here. 
and I like New Orleans. Why well, start over somewhere else and I could go right back home. Was your truck and everything okay? No, I had to buy another truck. It was on the wall. So now where to? Going to the gas station, then I'm going to watch. Oh, December 9th. I have countless hundred of melons. Señores y señores, estamos promocionando las piñas, las manzanas, los mangos, las papas, las cebollas, los rábanos para todos ustedes, etcétera, etcétera. I have cabbage, art, potatoes. I have the What are you buying today? Um, I don't know. I always look and then see what I like. Uh, three tangerines. His tangerines are always good. And and uh, one apple. We just we bought the house. So, so <laughs> and we're still working on it. We're not even living here yet, but we buy from him. So. Heard this loudspeaker, but I didn't know what he was saying. He finally figured it out, and I said, oh, <laughs> this is nice. I'm going to show you where the water stopped. The water stopped right here, and it was flooded all the way back. Well, I swam out, and then, then them people had a boat, you know, put them old people in the boat. So I'm staying in the house by myself right now. I have walls in one room where I sleep at, but the rest of the house is gutted out. I have onion, I have garlic, I have pineapple. Uh, I'll take four bananas and four tangerines. This is one of the things I love most about New Orleans fresh fruit and vegetables right at your front door from people who absolutely love what they're doing. And I love to eat food from people who love what they do with food. Now see around the bayou there where I go, them people around there, they took and put like the bad refrigerator and they had sign written on it. Okra, hurry back home. If anybody know where okra at <laughs> I just like to be out here and meet different people. The people treat me nice. They're lovely. I have nice oranges and bananas. Mr. Okra, a beloved fixture on the streets of New Orleans, you can still find his pickup truck, now with a fancy paint job, cruising the city. I have cantaloupe, honey, And that's where we'll put down this piece of Katrina Debris. You can find our podcast every week through the end of August on iTunes or use the podcast app on your smartphone. Just search for WWNO and Katrina the Debris. Eve Tro is the executive producer of The Debris. Welcome, Victor. Our producer is Kate Richardson. Digital director is Jason Saul. Paul Mawson is general manager of WWNO. Special thanks this week to Janet Wilson, Lane Kaplan-Levinson, and Michael Gottwald. Katrina the Debris is produced here in New Orleans. If you like it and want to hear more, consider supporting New Orleans Public Radio. You can do that at WWNO.org. Support also comes from Dirty Coast Press. Learn more about their locally designed and produced products at DirtyCoast.com. I'm your host, Jesse Hardman. Until next time, be well, be good, be safe, and thanks. Thanks.